Section 15 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 10, European Leaders, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Prince Bismarck, Part 2. Bismarck arose, slowly but steadily, with the whole force of his genius, among the defenders of the conservative interests of his order and of the throne. He was then simply Herr von Bismarck, belonging to an ancient and noble but not wealthy family, whose seat was Schoenhausen, where the future prince was born, April 1, 1815. The youth was sent to a gymnasium in Berlin in 1830, and in 1832 to the University of Göttingen in Hanover, where he was more distinguished for duels, drinking parties, and general lawlessness than for a scholarship. Here he formed a memorable friendship with a brother student, a young American, John Lothrop Motley, later the historian of the Dutch Republic. Much has been written of Bismarck's reckless and dissipated life at the university, which differed not essentially from that of other nobles. He had a grand figure, superb health, extraordinary animal spirits, and could ride like a centaur. He spent but three semesters at Göttingen, and then repaired to Berlin in order to study jurisprudence under the celebrated Savigny, but he was rarely seen in the lecture-room. He gave no promise of the great abilities which afterward distinguished him yet he honorably passed his state examination, and as he had chosen the law for his profession, he first served on leaving the university as a sort of clerk in the city police, and in 1834 was transferred to Aix-la-Chapelle in the administrative department of the district. In 1837 he served the crown office at Potsdam. He then entered for a year as a sharpshooter of the guards to absolve his obligation to military service. The next eight years, from the age of twenty-four, he devoted to farming, hunting, carousing, and reading on one of his father's estates in Pomerania. He was a sort of country squire, attending fairs, selling wool, inspecting timber, handling grain, gathering rents, and sitting as a deputy on the local diet, the talk and scandal of the neighborhood for his demon-like rides and drinking bouts, yet now studying all the while, especially history and even philosophy, managing the impoverished paternal estates with prudence and success, and making short visits to France and England, the languages of which countries he could speak with fluency and accuracy. In 1847 he married Johanna von Putkammer, nine years younger than himself, who proved a model wife, domestic and wise, of whom he was both proud and fond. That same year, his father having died and left him Schoenhausen, he was elected a member of the Landtag, a quasi-parliament of the eight united diets of the monarchy, and his great career began. Up to this period Bismarck was not a publicly marked man, except in an avidity for country sport and skill in horsemanship. He ever retained his love of the country and of country life. If proud and overbearing, he was not ostentatious. He had but few friends, but to these he was faithful. He was never popular until he had made Prussia the most powerful military state in Europe. He never sought to be loved so much as to be feared. He never allowed himself to be approached without politeness and deference. He seemed to care more for dogs than men. Nor was he endowed with those graces of manner which marked Metternich. He remained harsh, severe, grave, proud throughout his whole career, from first to last, except in congenial company. What is called society he despised, with all his aristocratic tendencies and high social rank. He was born for untrammeled freedom, and was always impatient under contradiction or opposition. When he reached the summit of his power he resembled Wallenstein, hero of the Thirty Years' War, superstitious, self-sustained, unapproachable, inspiring awe, 
rarely kindling love overshadowing by his vast abilities the monarch whom he served and ruled no account of the man however would be complete which did not recognize the cornerstone of his character an immovable belief in the feudalistic right of royalty to rule its subjects descended from an ancient family of knights and statesmen of the most intensely aristocratic and reactionary class even in germany his inherited instincts and his own tremendous will backed by a physique of colossal size and power made effective his loyalty to the king and the monarchy which from the first dominated and inspired him in the national diet of eighteen forty seven herr von bismarck sat for more than a month before he opened his lips but when he did speak it became evident that he was determined to support to the utmost the power of the crown he was plus royaliste que le roi in the ordinary sense he was no orator he hesitated he coughed he sought for words his voice in spite of his herculean frame was feeble but sturdy in his loyalty although inexperienced in parliamentary usage he offered a bold front to the liberalism which he saw to be dangerous to his sovereign's throne like oliver cromwell in parliament he gained daily in power which unlike the english statesman he was opposed to the popular side and held up the monarchy after the fashion of strafford from that time and in fact until eighteen sixty six when he conquered austria bismarck was very unpopular and as he rose in power he became the most bitterly hated man in prussia which hatred he returned with arrogant contempt he consistently opposed all reforms even the emancipation of the jews which won him the favor of the monarch when the revolution of eighteen forty eight broke out which hurled louis philippe from the french throne its flames reached every continental state except russia metternich who had been all-powerful in austria for forty years was obliged to flee as well as the imperial family itself all the germanic states were now promised liberal constitutions by the fallen or dismayed princes in prussia affairs were crucial and the reformers were sanguine of triumph berlin was agitated by mobs to the verge of anarchy the king seriously alarmed now promised the boon which he had thus far withheld and summoned the second united diet to pave the way for a constituent assembly in this constituent assembly bismarck scorned to sit for six months it sat squabbling and fighting but accomplishing nothing at last bismarck found it expedient to enter the new parliament as a deputy and again vigorously upheld the absolute power of the crown he did indeed accept the principle of constitutional government but as he frankly said against his will and only as a new power in the hands of the monarch to restrain popular agitation and maintain order through his influence the king refused the imperial crown offered by the frankfurt parliament because he conceived that the parliament had no right to give it that its acceptance would be a recognition of national instead of royal sovereignty and that it would be followed probably by civil war as time went on he became more and more the leader of the conservatives i need not enumerate the subjects which came up for discussion in the new prussian parliament in which bismarck exhibited with more force than eloquence his loyalty to the crown and a conservatism which was branded by the liberals as medieval but his originality his boldness his fearlessness his rugged earnestness his wit and humor his biting sarcasm his fertility of resources his knowledge of men and affairs and his devoted patriotism marked him out for promotion in eighteen fifty one bismarck was sent as first secretary of the prussian embassy to the diet of the various german states convened at frankfurt in which austria held a predominating influence 
it was not a parliament but an administrative council of the germanic confederation founded by the congress of vienna in eighteen fifteen it made no laws and its sittings were secret it was a body which represented the league of sovereigns and was composed of only seventeen delegates its main function being to suppress all liberal movements in the various german states like the congress of vienna itself the diet of frankfurt was pretentious but practically impotent and was the laughing-stock of europe it was full of jealousies and intrigues it was a mere diplomatic conference as austria and prussia controlled it things went well enough when these two powers were agreed but they did not often agree there was a perpetual rivalry between them and an unextinguishable jealousy there were many sneers at the appointment of a man to this diplomatic post whose manners were brusque and overbearing and who had spent most of his time after leaving the university among horses cattle and dogs who was only a lieutenant of militia with a single decoration and who was unacquainted with what is called diplomacy but the king knew his man and the man was conscious of his powers bismarck found life at frankfurt intolerably dull he had a contempt for his diplomatic associates generally and made fun of them to his few intimate friends he took them in almost at a glance for he had an intuitive knowledge of character he weighed them in his balance and found them wanting in a letter to his wife he writes nothing but miserable trifles do these people trouble themselves about they strike me as infinitely more ridiculous with their important ponderosity concerning the gathered rags of gossip than even a member of the second chamber of berlin in the full consciousness of his dignity the men of the minor states are mostly mere caricatures of periwig diplomatists who at once put on their official visage if i merely beg of them a light to my cigar his extraordinary merits were however soon apparent to the king and even to his chief old general rakoff who was soon transferred to st petersburg to make way for the secretary the king's brother william prince of prussia when at frankfurt was much impressed by the young prussian envoy to the bund and there was laid the foundation of the friendship between the future soldier king and the future chancellor between whom there always existed a warm confidence and esteem soon after bismarck made the acquaintance of metternich who had ruled for so long a time both the diet and the empire the old statesman now retired invited the young diplomatist to his castle at johannesburg they had different aims but similar sympathies the austrian statesman sought to preserve the existing state of things the prussian to make his country dominant over germany both were aristocrats both were conservative but metternich was as bland and polished as bismarck was rough and brusque nothing escaped the watchful eye of bismarck at frankfurt as the ambassador of prussia he took note of everything both great and small and communicated it to berlin as if he were a newspaper correspondent in everything he showed his sympathy with absolutism and hence recommended renewed shackles on the press and on the universities at that time the hotbed of revolutionary ideas his central aim and constant thought was the ascendancy of prussia first in royal strength at home then throughout germany as the rival of austria bismarck was not only a keen observer but he soon learned to disguise his thoughts nobody could read him he was frank when his opponents were full of lies knowing that he would not be believed he became a perfect master of the art of deception no one was a match for him in stalecraft even prince gorshtakov became his dupe by his tact he kept prussia from being entangled by the usurpation of napoleon the third and by the crimean war he saw into the character of the french emperor and discovered that he was shallow and not to be feared at frankfurt bismarck had many opportunities of seeing distinguished men of all nations he took their gauge and penetrated the designs of cabinets 
he counseled his master to conciliate napoleon though regarding him as an upstart and he sought the friendship of france in order to eclipse the star of austria whom it was necessary to humble before prussia could rise in his whole diplomatic career at frankfurt it was bismarck's aim to contravene the designs of austria having in view the aggrandizement of prussia as the true head and centre of german nationality he therefore did all he could to prevent austria from being assisted in her war with italy and rejoiced in her misfortunes in the meantime he made frequent short visits to holland denmark italy and hungary acquired the languages of these countries and made himself familiar with their people and institutions besides shrewdly studying the characters manners and diplomatic modes of the governing classes of european nations at large cool untiring self-possessed he was storing up information and experience at the end of eight years in eighteen fifty nine bismarck was transferred to st petersburg as the prussian ambassador to alexander the second he was then forty-three years of age and was known as the sworn foe of austria his free and easy but haughty manners were a great contrast to those of his stiff buttoned-up and pretentious predecessors and he became a great favorite in russian court circles the comparatively small salary he received less than twenty thousand dollars with a house would not allow him to give expensive entertainments or to run races in prodigality with the representatives of england france or even austria who received nearly fifty thousand dollars but no parties were more sought or more highly appreciated than those which his sensible and unpretending wife gave in the high society in which they moved with the empress dowager he was an especial favorite and was just the sort of man whom the autocrat of all the russias would naturally like especially for his love of hunting and his success in shooting deer and bears he did not go to grand parties any more than he could help despising their ostentation and frivolity and always feeling the worse for them on the second of january eighteen sixty one frederick william the fourth who had for some time been insane died and was succeeded by the prince regent william the first already in his sixty-fifth year every inch a soldier and nothing else bismarck was soon summoned to the councils of his sovereign at berlin who was perplexed and annoyed by the liberal party which had the ascendancy in the lower chamber of the general diet office was pressed upon bismarck but before he accepted it he wished to study napoleon and french affairs more closely and was therefore sent as ambassador to paris in eighteen sixty two he made that year a brief visit to london disraeli being then the premier who smiled at his schemes for the regeneration of germany it was while journeying amid the pyrenees that bismarck was again summoned to berlin the lower chamber having ridden roughshod over his majesty's plan for army reform the king invested him with the great office of president of the ministry his abilities being universally recognized it was now bismarck's mission to break the will of the prussian parliament and to thrust austria out of the germanic body he considered only the end in view caring nothing for the means he had no scruples it was his religion to raise prussia to the same ascendancy that austria had held under metternich he had a master whose will and ambition were equal to his own yet whose support he was sure of in carrying out his grand designs he was now a second richelieu to whom the aggrandizement of the monarchy which he served and the welfare of the fatherland were but convertible terms he soon came into bitter conflict not with nobles but with progressive liberals in the chamber who detested him and feared him but to whom he did not condescend to reveal his plans bearing obloquy with placidity in the greatness of the end he had in view he was a self-sustained haughty unapproachable man of power except among the few friends whom he honored as boon companions without ever losing his discretion wearing a mask with apparent frankness and showing real frankness in matters which did not concern secrets of state especially on the subjects of education and religion like his master he was more a calvinist than a lutheran 
he openly avowed his dependence on almighty god and on him alone as the hope of nations in this respect we trace a resemblance to oliver cromwell rather than to frederick the great bismarck was a compound of both in his patriotism and his unscrupulousness the first thing that king william and his minister did was to double the army but this vast increase of military strength seemed unnecessary to the liberal party and the requisite increase of taxes to support it was unpopular hence bismarck was brought in conflict with the lower chamber which represented the middle classes he dared not tell his secret schemes without imperiling their success which led to grave misunderstandings for four years the conflict raged between the crown and the parliament both the king and bismarck being inflexible and the lower house was equally obstinate in refusing to grant the large military supplies demanded at last bismarck dissolved the chambers and the king declared that as the three estates could not agree he should not continue to do his duty by prussia without regard to these pieces of paper called constitutions the next four sessions of the chamber were closed in the same manner bismarck admitted that he was acting unconstitutionally but claimed the urgency of public necessity in the public debates he was cool sarcastic and contemptuous the press took up the fight and the press was promptly muzzled bismarck was denounced as a cataline a strafford a poligna but he retained a provoking serenity and quietly prepared for war since war he foresaw was sooner or later inevitable nothing can solve the question said he but blood and iron at last an event occurred which showed his hand in november eighteen sixty three frederick the seventh the king of denmark died by his death the schleswig holstein question again burst upon distracted europe who was to reign over the two danish provinces the king of denmark as duke of schleswig and holstein had been represented in the germanic diet by the treaty of london in eighteen fifty two he had undertaken not to incorporate the duchies with the rest of his monarchy allowing them to retain their traditional autonomy in eighteen sixty three shortly before his death frederick the seventh by a decree dissolved this autonomy and virtually incorporated schleswig which was only partly german with the danish monarchy leaving the wholly german holstein as before bismarck protested against this violation of treaty obligations the danish parliament nevertheless passed a law which incorporated the province with denmark and christian the ninth the new monarch confirmed the law but a new claimant to the duchies now appeared in the person of friedrich of augustenburg a german prince and the prussian chamber advocated his claims as did the diet itself but the throne held its opinion in reserve bismarck contrived by what diplomatic tricks and promises it is difficult to say to induce austria to join with prussia in seizing the provinces in question and in dividing the spoil between them as these two powers controlled the diet at frankfurt it was easy to carry out the program an austro-prussian army accordingly evaded schleswig holstein and to the scandal of all europe drove the danish defenders to the wall it was regarded in the same light as the seizure of silesia by frederick the great a high-handed and unscrupulous violation of justice and right england was particularly indignant and uttered loud protests so did the lesser states of germany jealous of the aggrandizement of prussia even the prussian chamber refused to grant the money for such an enterprise but bismarck laughed in his sleeve this arch diplomatist had his reasons which he did not care to explain he had in view the weakening of the power of the diet and a quarrel with austria true he had embraced austria but after the fashion of a bear he knew that austria and prussia would wrangle about the division of the spoil which would lead to misunderstandings and thus furnish the pretext for a war which he felt to be necessary before prussia could be aggrandized and german unity be effected 
with Prussia at its head, the two great objects of its life. His policy was marvelously astute, but he kept his own counsels and continued to hug his secret enemy. On the 30th of October, 1864, the Treaty of Vienna was signed, by which it was settled that the King of Denmark should surrender Schleswig-Holstein and Lauenburg to Austria and Prussia, and he bound himself to submit to what their majesties might think fit as to the disposition of these three duchies. Probably both parties sought an occasion to quarrel, since their commissioners had received opposite instructions, the Austrians defending the claims of Friedrich of Augustenburg, as generally desired in Germany, and the Prussians now opposing them. Prussia demanded the expulsion of the pretender, to which Austria said no. Prussia further sounded Austria as to the annexation of the duchies to herself, to which Austria consented, on condition of receiving an equivalent of some province in Silesia. What? thought Bismarck angrily. Give you back part of what was won for Prussia by Frederick the Great? Never. Affairs had a gloomy look, but war was averted for a while by the Convention of Gastein, by which the possession of Schleswig was assigned to Prussia, and Holstein to Austria, and further, in consideration of two and a half millions of dollars, the Emperor Francis Joseph ceded to King William all his rights of co-proprietorship in the Duchy of Lauenburg. But the Chamber of Berlin boldly declared this transaction to be null and void, since the country had not been asked to ratify the treaty. It must be borne in mind that the conflict was still going on between Bismarck, as the defender of the absolute sovereignty of the King, and the liberal and progressive members of the Chamber, who wanted a freer and more democratic constitution. Opposed then by the Chamber, Bismarck dissolved it, and coolly reminded his enemies that the Chamber had nothing to do with politics, only with commercial affairs and matters connected with taxation. This was the period of his greatest unpopularity, since his policy and ultimate designs were not comprehended. So great was the popular detestation in which he was held that a fanatic tried to kill him in the street, but only succeeded in wounding him slightly. End of section 15